HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Michael Harlan Turkel for an episode of The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org with Patricia Curden. Couldn't be a lovelier day in Napa, California today. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's really nice for you to come. I'm glad. So this location is, is, is right across from a campus where your husband works. Can you explain what that school is and what you're doing here? Sure. It's the Oxbow School. And it's a semester program for juniors and seniors in high school. And they come from all over the country, and they board here for either their um, fall or spring semester. And the curriculum of the school is um, academics and um, studio art, and they're integrated, and the academics are taught through hands-on projects in, um, in visual art, and they have beautiful studios that are right on the Napa River, and um, it's very, very unusual uh, kind of high school experience. Yeah, I mean, it, it mixes the tactile with the professional in the sense. Yeah, um, it's it's not that separation of, um, ab- you know, just thinking is one thing and doing is another. They're, they're completely one thing, and it's especially for those kind of learners who learn better you know, project-based learning over there. They're, um, it's not just language-based or numbers-based, or, but they're, they're actually doing things with their hands and their bodies, and they're, you know, illustrating their ideas through working on something. Thank you for using the word illustrating. It's a <laughs> wonderful segue because the reason I came out to see you um, is because I've been enamored by your work for, I mean, decades now. It, it's It's very well known in the food industry, but I don't think the background of it is as well known or, or your story. Um, everyone's heard of Chez Panisse, or so I hope, and Alice Waters. Um, let's talk about where you grew up and how you made way to Berkeley in that felicitous moment. Oh, we have to go way back. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a native Californian, so I grew up in the middle of the state in Fresno. And, you know, pretty... Uh, didn't really have any extraordinary experiences around, I would say, food or or really um, visual art either. Um, but at a certain point, I realized, you know, I didn't really want to stay in Fresno, California, and made my way, you know, post-high school, made my way to Berkeley. And um, that was shortly after that was when... Alice was starting up Chez Panisse, and I just kind of had the good fortune to cross paths with with her and with those people, and then at the same time with 
um, other other people who were um, in the printing um, world of things. And so I kind of at the same time got um, interested in and joined in and started working with people who were who were in the food world and cooking and also um, in the um, letterpress printing world. And so those interests got, you know, just really um, combined um, when I first, as a young adult, when I first uh, was starting to work and, you know, make make my own life in the world. You know, I keep on using this word on this show, um, amalgamated, when, you know, two things come together. Uh, and it's not necessarily an intersection, it's a convergence. But, you know, I think uh, in your case, there's a lot of analogous things. Um, what were those functions? What were those, you know, hands-on features of printmaking and food that were similar? Well, um, mostly I, I was, uh, you know, for the first sort of uh, decade of, you know, in the in the 70s, um, I was more involved in food than the print world. And um, so I got very involved at Chez Panisse and, and cooking and um, the beautiful aesthetic of all of that. And then um, at a certain point, I wanted to um, have a family, and cooking at night in a restaurant just didn't go very well with that. And so um, about that time, um, Alice uh, just began you know, getting contracts to do books, and so I started working with her on the books because I had an interest in print and typography and, and all of that, and then kind of just... F- left the kitchen and really started focusing um, on that side of things. And um, I had acquired a letterpress, and I so I set myself up with a, a little studio where I could work. And oops, eventually started um, um, teaching myself, you know, illustration and somehow to get images in into this um, work the, of, of the books. But you know, whether it was um, in the kitchen or in the studio and whether it was cooking or, you know, printing or trying to, um, you know, illustrate and write about food, it was still all about food. So that's the central theme and the, you know, the, the way of working with that and um, making making um, visual art or, or various aspects, of it, it's still really that's the common thread is, is food. So what kind of restaurant setting did you work in prior to Chez Panisse? Uh, or were you just friendly enough with Alice to be accepted into that family and work behind the bar? Um, that I never worked in another restaurant. I hadn't worked in restaurant. I worked in a little bakery when I, you know, just was first making my, um, surviving, making a living, you know, in Berkeley. So I was interested in, in um, baking and bread making. And, and um, I did go away from Chez Panisse, you know, some point I worked for um, this crazy French baker up in Healdsburg. He was an insane madman, but I, I learned a lot from him. And um, and then incorporate when I went back to Chez Panisse, I kind of incorporated that knowledge, you know, back into the kitchen. I could use more of that. Um, but I kind of forgot what you were asking me. Um, well. You know, let's let's talk stylistically too, because you referenced this French baker and Alice's. You know, food was California cuisine, and you had this interest in food prior to printmaking. So, did you go to Chez Panisse, or were you accepted in Chez Panisse oh. because of that interest? No, um, it it was just it was just kind of um, serendipitous, and I was working with um, David Lance Goins in his print shop, and he was good friends with Alice, and they just were shorthanded one night and so um i got a call and said you know can you can you come in and i said sure why not you know so and then that i just stayed it just worked out and that was in the you know first few months of the restaurant and everybody it was a madhouse everybody was trying to figure it out nobody knew what they were really doing you know it wasn't it wasn't shaping east like it is now and it isn't wasn't california cuisine it was french cuisine you know it was Alice was a complete Francophile and was just trying to reproduce the food she had eaten and experienced in France. And it, it, it evolved into, you know, what it is now and how everybody thinks about it now of local ingredients and California ingredients and, you know, organic and all that. But that, that took a while. It, that, that 
entire web and network was not, it wasn't happening. You know, Shea Panisse and Alice was, she was, you know, one of the ones that um, brought it about. Because out of, and it came out of a frustration of not being able to find the ingredients that, you know, we all wanted to cook with. It sounds kind of analogous to your path in art as well, you know, not being able to find the instruments or being able to find the printing press and seeking those things out and making change. When you started printmaking, what were your influences? What what kind of styles, what kind of art periods were you looking towards? Well, um, I started very simple. First, I started printing working, you know, with um, text and typography and handset type. And then I wanted to add images to what I was printing. And there were just weren't very many ways to do that, you know, in the medium. And one way is, is um, woodcut or linoleum, um, you know, relief printing. And so you could, you could have these little cuts made from photographs or negatives, you know, of black and white. We're not talking grayscale here. It's like yes or no. But another way was, you know, to cut the linoleum myself. And so I decided, well, I'll try and do that. And I started very, very simply, um, but eventually got better. And the things, the, the, the artwork that really um, inspired me were um, early herbals from Europe, you know, in the 16th century herbals, these beautiful, they were this, the, you know, the epitome of scientific knowledge at the time, where taxonomy and descriptions of plants and medicinal plants and, you know, all their uses and culinary and otherwise. And um, just those beautiful, beautiful black and white texts with amazing um, images of plants. So I, I, I was trying to, in any way, get close to being able to do that. And the other, um, the other major influence for me has always been um, the Yukioi uh, Japanese wood block printing. And um, which I just find so, so beautiful. And um, so eventually I'd say what the style that I've developed is probably a combination of those two and um, kind of a combination of the two uh, printing techniques as well using machine. The the Japanese printing is all done by hand. Um, But I'm trying to achieve some of the effects of that printing um, using my... Uh, European style letterpress machine and so it's kind of taking working backwards from the visuals like I want it to look like that but how can I how can I get there using my tools and my techniques it's if if I went back and edited this piece and eliminated you know the words printing and letterpress and replaced them with you know food and kitchen um, I almost couldn't tell the difference between those two functions Mm -hmm. of your life and it's kind of an amazing thing to hear that you know, you, you you still do need to gain a foundation, and you, you take that foundation from something that you love and you build, and you create your own style. Did you see this happening in your life? Did you did you realize that food was informing art and back and forth? Oh, yes, definitely. And, and I agree with you. I think um, uh, a lot of this is about craft and um, mastering craft and learning your techniques and, you know, putting in your 10,000 hours and you know, so that you you have the foundation skills and understanding of your materials to then be a little bit free or to, um, you know, not focus on uh, so much on how you're doing it. It's like if you, once you know how to, the basic ways to roast and braise and cook and that sort of thing, you don't, you don't have to think about that. You're just thinking about, you know, what ingredients you're going to combine how to get what flavor and um, what it's going to taste like and, you know, all, all, all of that, not, um, gosh, you know, what's the first step and then the ne- and is it 45 minutes or, is, you know, whatever. So um, a lot of it is uh, building craft, I think, and and the the great satisfaction of that. And that really allows you to just kind of keep, taking your ideas to the next step and the next step and the next step. So what was that first print that you and Alice collaborated on? And was it actually a collaboration, or was it you presenting something and her responding to that? Um, No, we didn't really (coughs) collaborate in that way. And um, 
she uh, she has a great love for printing and appreciates she she really appreciates other people's talents and skills so she said oh you know I, I would really like something special for the dining room maybe you could do a menu maybe you could do this or that and so then I would say all right and I'll I'll, I'll give that a shot and I would just get the text of the information of you know the menu and when and the the, the nice way that we have of working is um, we understand each other like non-verbally uh, really, really well and have always had this um, kind of, we inspire each other, I would say. And so I never had to show or anything in process or show what my idea was or whatever. I would just make it and deliver it, you know, bring it to her. And then she mostly would, you know, be very happy with that. And then we would just do another one and another one and another one. So we just had that way of working where there's no, it's not really developing the idea together, um, but she having um, a project or a need and saying, would you do this? And I would say yes. And then we would talk about it just a little bit right there. Well, who's going to be there? And, you know, maybe talk about the ingredients or a, a few things or, you know, and and then that's it. I would go away and make it, and then I would bring it back. And it's in that way, we we work independently in that way. But our um, our aesthetic and our understanding is is collaborative and very close. You know, I, I keep on talking to larger restaurateurs. No, I'm not calling Alice a small restaurateur, of course. It's a small restaurant. But larger restaurateurs, in in the sense of how do you grow and how do you delegate, and it is finding not only a rapport but someone that you you trust with their craft to be able to do it by themselves and you're not over their shoulder the whole time. Um, so what was that first print that you showed her and what was the reaction? Oh, gosh. Um, it was probably just a really simple uh, handset type letterpress piece of paper with that. But I think what was so, you know, I, I, I can't remember the moment, the thing, really. Um, I can remember about that time. But... Um, what what made it special was it was um, very personally made for that time, that moment at the restaurant. So it was about a particular night, a particular dinner, a particular menu for one one thing only. It's it's just it's like cooking the dinner that night. It's for that it's that one menu that night that experience. And so what I was printing and making was part of that. In the you know and and it temporal in the same way it was just very specific to that moment and I think that's what made it special and they were not um, you know I wasn't very skilled at the beginning it was just pretty rudimentary and I, I I became gradually through that that development of craft I became better and better at it over the years and then I think they became more interesting on their own apart from the context of you know in the dining room that night. I love the word temporal. Um, And I'm so glad you brought it up because I actually literally wrote it down almost like exactly when you said it in circle it just to reinforce uh, uh, how important a word that is um, in food. Less so in art because I think what you're doing is archiving something that's temporal and giving it longevity. You know, a, a palate lasts, a flavor profile, um, an ideology, but what you've done with prints is, is, is made a document. Um, did you realize that you were doing something that would have a legacy past just that one night? Um, eventually I did, not at the beginning. Um, but I've always been conscious of, of um, the object of the menu or the print as um, it, it, it's a souvenir of that moment. So, as you say, you, you eat the food, you cook the food, you eat the food, and that you, the only thing you have is the taste memory of it, or you know. But the um, the printed object is is a, a tactile souvenir, and and really can represent and bring back and you know um, be something that lasts from that very temporal experience. So I was very aware of that. Yes. 
So did Alice keep that first one? Did diners take that first one away? I mean, there, there are also costs involved in that you're having to print a menu. Was that was that intentional, or did you see the reaction to it that first time and said, well, we might have something here? Um, you know, everything was... We were too busy to be, you know, really looking at ourselves and thinking like that. It was just right on to the next day, you know. Um, so it, we, we, I don't think we were self-conscious that way. But people uh, did respond. And this is this is uh, something I love about letterpress in general, not just, you know, my particular work. But um, most people don't really uh, have an understanding technically of the process and how it's made. But when you um, see it and touch it, you, you, you know that something's happened here. Some, something's been... Um, handmade here it's 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 not uh it doesn't have that flat sort of uh more more mass-produced uh impersonal kind of printing that we're more accustomed to magazines or whatever it's it it has that impression in the paper and there's something about it that tells you that a person made this not just a machine made this and that's communicated whether or not you understand it and know anything about printing or letterpress, that the, the, people respond, and um, I love that about it. And so early on, the diners, they it was it was special. You didn't get um, something like that in a, when you sat down to dinner in a restaurant um, that was for that night only and handmade and unusual. And most people um, would take them home whether they were a little splashed or stained or crumpled or whatever. And, you know, it's the kind of thing people would, would put up in their kitchen or, you know, save. And, um, but not everybody. You know, many of them ended up on the floor in the trash can or whatever. That's all right. Is, is it all right? How, how does that make you feel, seeing something that you, the creator, made be destroyed like that? Um, uh, printing is about printing. It's, there are multiples. It's not a one-off. So it's not like your, your, your precious one thing that you made uh, is now, you know, trashed. But so, you know, you kind of want everybody to get it, but not everybody does. That, that, that's all right. Um, the ones who do, do. Um, and there are, there are multiples, and so that's all right. Um, so it, it doesn't bother me. And plus, there's something about, you know, most people, most artists who, who, who make things, once you make it and it's it's out of your hands and it's out in the world, it's that's it. I mean, it has its own life, whether it lasts or it doesn't, or you know, that's why you have to keep making things. Well, how long have you been making things in collaboration with Shape Honeys? Um, Forty plus years. Yeah, I started working there um, at the end of 1971, and they opened in the summer of that year. So, yeah, it's been a long time. But I I didn't you know, really get into printing very much for the restaurant um, until uh, 10 or 12 years after it opened. So uh, when I went out of the kitchen and into my studio. So it's been, you know, 30 years, really. So let's talk about that transition, you know, leaving the restaurant and focusing on the studio. What did you focus on? And I almost wanted to ask you, you know, the process of the letterpress, but after your explanation before... I feel like it's just so much nicer to receive something trusted from somebody and know that it was made by a person than be inquisitive at this point. Uh, you could do your own research, but uh, just that, that, that handoff, that moment is a little more special without knowing everything about it and just seeing it in front of you. Um, so what was that transition like leaving, well, not food, but leaving the restaurant to focus on your art? Well, it was, it was not too easy. It was, it was a little difficult. Um, because um, the atmosphere and the nature of the work in a kitchen, um, it's, if, if you have the right temperament, is, is really fantastic. It's theatrical, it's, it's busy, it's high pressure, it's, you know, there's so much action, there's lots of people, there's a real, you know, heat exchange going on in all kinds of ways. And, um, you know, you have the, the drama of, starting from nothing every day and making that, you know, doing all of the preparation and making that meal and then getting it all together at, you know, for six o'clock for the start of service. And then, 
you know, cooking the dinner and the intensity of that. And then it just kind of winds down and then, you know, you're done, you're exhausted and it's over and you start that again every day. And, um, and it takes to do it well, takes, you know, a, a, a quite an orchestration of, you know, people and ingredients and all of it. Um, very exciting. So all of a sudden I found myself going to my little studio and it was just me and it was pretty quiet in there. And what am I going to do? What am I doing today? And you know, that and it. So, um, learning to work in solitude and be, um, you know, more self-motivated rather than the externals of, you know, the, the clock and the, and the restaurant driving everything. Um, that took a little while. And, um, I, I also, at, you know, at the same time I had changed my life and I had, you know, s- started a family. So I had y- young, young child and then another child. So that also completely, uh, changes your perspective on, on everything. So it, it was quite a period of adjustment, but then I, I really came to enjoy, um, that space in the studio and, and being able to, um, spend really focused time. Um, you have to learn in a, in a kitchen or a big, busy, high stress environment like that. You, you have to learn how to focus, um, on your own work without being distracted by all of that that's going on. Um, I think you have to have a facility for concentration and be able to handle that and handle the pressure. That's why I think a lot of people have to start and then leave kitchens. They can't quite, you know, um, function very well in that environment. But um, I really like the, the, the work in the studio that allows me to um, concentrate for a long time uh, in, an, uh, in an undistracted way. And what were you concentrating on, you know, as I look around your kitchen and we just walked around the, the grounds, uh, there's all this flora, all this amazing foliage, plants, you know, uh, vegetables, fruit trees. Was that the scene from your studio where you staring out a window and you saw a lemon tree in front of you and that begat whatever print you were working on? Um, not quite. Not, um, I didn't have that kind of a garden studio um but i i i've always had a garden wherever i've lived i've always planted some kind of garden and um it and that continued and i but by the time i was really working in my studio um i had a little house with a with a garden and i did have some fruit trees and and plants and um so that has always been a very direct um inspiration And, and instead of um doing the work in the garden, I would bring the, the garden and the ingredients into the studio and I would, I could cut branches. I could, you know, and, or sometimes I would go to, go to the restaurant. I would get ingredients and, um, draw, draw from life, but I would do it in the studio. It's, it's pretty uncomfortable working in nature, actually. It's kind of, it's not easy <laughs> to do because, you know, it's, whether it's changing the lights too bright, it's, you get too hot or you're too cold or, you know, whatever. But, um, and I, I'm pretty self-taught. I've never really been trained to, you know, and I didn't start out being able to draw. And um, people say, oh, no, they, they don't believe me. But, it, you know, it's, I just, uh, you know, got, just tried it and then, and then stuck with it. And then little by little just got better and better, which is, I think, basically how anybody learns anything. Um, is you just you just keep doing it. This, there are the, of course, the sort of natural, the, the the rare the talents. Some people just can do it, do something that well. But it's 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 pretty unusual. Most people learn to do what they do, and um, so the thing that has always inspired me are plants, and especially edible plants because I have my love of food and cooking, and um, mostly what I what I focus on is. Uh, uh, the, the, some simple version of this beautiful plant and I'm not trying to do anything to it I'm just trying to be faithful to it and just by really looking and looking and um, that's what I tend to make images of you know I was going to ask you about control because taking the element or the object out of its element and being able to study it in that fashion I felt like was the uh, same way that you know a chef has control over a product you know and tries to use the best product possible but put it in 
you know, in their realm, in their kitchen, and they have the hand on it. But it, this seems a little more introspective. This seems a little more, I don't know, there's a little more emotion to this aspect of it. Because what is it about, you know, flora versus fauna? What is it about edible versus inedible plants um, that really, you know, motivates you to capture these things? Well, um, a couple of things. Part, partly it is, is because I love cooking. And so, and, and one of the reasons I, I feel like I can uh, draw certain edible plants is because uh, I know them already. You know, I, I, I know them through my hands and having, you know, when you, when you prepare vegetables and you take them all apart and you wash them and you cut them up and you, you, you really learn their anatomy um, in a way that's, that's um, beyond just looking at something. And so some of that comes from that understanding. But um, it, it wasn't like I was... Uh, you know, an artist working outside of a context. I, I actually had assignments in a way. You know, so I um, this the, the 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 drawings and the prints and the work were for something for a book about vegetables, for a meal, um, for a menu, for certain things. And so um, it wasn't um, completely um, an abstract choice. It was within the context of this restaurant or this information or, or something, some information they're trying to convey. Um, but the, within that assignment, then the selection of what to work with and how to work with it, that it, it is very emotional. It's very intuitive. So who did you work with? Who were your clients? And did you have that same kind of attachment to them that you did shape on these? Well, m- most of the work I've done, my, my, my main collaborator client is, Alice Waters and we've been you know working together for years and years and um, I sort of in a in a community or you know friend group way I most of the work I've done has been for people involved in food and wine so you know merchants or or businesses or you know wineries or you know labels or you know all that sort of, it's, it's almost all food and wine related um so it, you know, you kind of go within a network, person to person, and people you know, and then people call and say, "Oh, I love that. Can you do this for me?" and that kind of thing. So, what is that kind of linchpin piece? What is the one that people keep coming back to and saying, "Oh, I remember this, you know, uh, this plant that you drew. Will you work with me? Do you do you have an iconic set of your work, or is it a style as a whole?" I, you know, I think um, the main thing that people identify with my work really is the medium and it's the linoleum blocks um, uh, prints and the the medium itself has such a character and a look that um, it it is its own style and so I think it's um, maybe in general that these are edibles and and related to food and, and eating and cooking but I think it's the look of of the letterpress printing that is what people say. Oh, I I love the way that looks, and you know, it less about you know lemons per se or whatever. So, with decades printmaking, what have you learned? What what techniques have you gained? Because as a cook, you know, you you seek out other kitchens, you seek out other cuisines. How do you do that within your art? Um, I think. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say I've developed some um, unique uh, techniques for printing linoleum blocks. Usually, uh, relief printing is it's yes or no. It's black or white. You know, it's 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 there. It's not there. It's 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 not tonal like photographs. And solid color, usually flat color, whether it's black and white or color, but the ink is it's flat and. And I, just by looking, um, I might be, you know, trying to make an image of a pear or something, looking at that, I, you know, I want that, that, you know, that blush in the pear. I want it to look like it as beautiful or as real as it is. And so I, um, 
I, I've, I've worked on this same machine, this letterpress, um, the whole time. And, and, you know, you get to know your tools really well. I, I, I know sort of the capacity of that machine. And just by, you know, driven by the desire to uh, see something the way I want to see it, just how far can I, what can I do with the capacity of this press to, you know, maneuver this and, and um, tweak that and, you know, to, to try and accomplish that particular look. And, and it's, it's just by, that's what I referred to earlier about mastering craft, by just, you stay with it and, it, you know, you do one thing and, it, and every once in a while in the studio you get these aha moments, you know, you just, oh, I could do that, maybe that'll work. You try it and it, and it, and it does, or it almost does. And you, you know, I would be thrilled with something like that. And then next time I would think, oh, you know what, if I did that as well or push it a little bit, that, then, you, then you get to that other point. So, you know, so o- o- over the decades, you know, I've built up those techniques. And that has come to um, be associated, I think, with, with uh, the look of what I do. Uh- so, you know, you have palette and palette, you know, I'm spelling it out in my head, um, or, or tone versus taste. Are there things that don't translate? You know, you talk about the blush of a pear. Are there certain things that you can't capture in printmaking that, you know, happen with the plant itself and reciprocally? Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> this list is so long. Um, but, I, you know, I once... Uh, uh, an artist friend of mine once said to me, you know, the, 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 the time to change medium is when you can't do what you want to do in your medium. You can't see it. You can't get there. And um, so, you know, you, you, if, if, you, if you're not, no longer satisfied with the medium and what, what you're getting from it, then you, you, might have to, you might have to push on to something else. In, in, the, in the past few years, I haven't been doing much printmaking, I've been doing drawing and just finished um, just finishing up a book uh, with Alice. It's coming out in the fall. It's called uh, it's a sequel to The Art of Simple Food, and it's called The Art of Simple Food 2. And um, it's illustrated with uh, black and white drawings, and they're ink and charcoal drawings. And I had, you know, the, the task of um, needing to illustrate very specific varieties of fruits and vegetables and it's so it needs to be not not a generic pear but it needs to be you know a bartlett pear a a, a comis pear a danjou pear a, you know and so um and 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 without color and i found it pretty daunting to to try and figure out how to do that but um and it i've been working on these drawings for two years and by just working and working you know I kind of figured out a way to do it that I that I'm satisfied with I mean I hope people will like them but um and uh the the kind of kind of uh nuance and detail that I'm able to get in these drawings I could not I would not be able to get um with linoleum block and relief printing so you kind of you know use the medium to to do different things different mediums to do different um, kinds of artwork, I think. So obviously, uh, black and white, stripping something of its color that is so inherently colorful, um, is, is fascinating in it of itself. But it's almost like cooking in a sense, where Alice reverted back to simplicity after these more complex French foods. Um, do you find it challenging or exhilarating to be able to be elemental with these things? Well, well, both. Um, it I found it... Ex- extremely challenging um but there's something about uh i think there's something about drawing that um that i really love that is um drawing is patient uh you it it takes a while to make a drawing it takes it takes time to figure out what you're going to do it takes time to see it and it takes time to execute it and a little bit like the response that people have when when you they hold a sheet of paper that's been printed letterpress. I think um, people, they, they respond to drawing in a certain way. It's not a photograph. Somebody made it. 
that there's there's a there's a marks there's a human hand um it's not there's not a machine in there and it's uh some particular person's point of view um what you're seeing is what they want you to see and uh, there's something uh a, a little timeless about that that i i really like um if if the work is good of course um in contrast to uh, photographs and photographs, you know, things get pretty dated pretty fast, you know, like you see um, cookbooks, for example, you know, that are, you know, most of the cookbooks are all photography now. It's very unusual. I think maybe this book might um, might stand out a, a little bit, I hope, be, because precise, it's not f- photographs, it's precisely not that thing. Um, but they, you know, you you can see a, a, a time, an era, an approach, uh, kind of an aesthetic through photographs when when they're made. And, and drawings are a little bit, they're not that way. They're a little timeless. Um, the, uh, there's something, uh, as you say, elemental about that that I means a lot to me. I, I really appreciate that. So obviously, uh, I think it was with intention that you chose to do it black and white charcoal ink um why did you choose to make a book i'm not saying that a book ended a career but to encapsulate a certain time a long period of time uh, in the initial one and why a second well part of that is i think alice's aesthetic her notion um uh one aesthetic we share is uh love of old books old typography um which you know, it was uh, started out black and white, and then it was either hand illustrated. But sometimes there would be a second color. There's a there's a kind of um, classic look that is uh, black and red, and that's what these books are. Um, there's they're just two color. They're black and kind of a red orange, kind of a printer's red, and it it refers back to that um, that early typography of just text and um, simple black and white um, relief image and um, I don't it's just it's it, it's uh, it's it's primarily an aesthetic choice um, and then there is that emphasis on it puts a different emphasis on the information a little bit I think uh, it's not as uh, color driven styled kind of uh, created for uh only for a only for that moment you know i th- i think it's it's just more um it's it, it's more focusing on the the text and information and so you keep on harkening back to this moment um and and certain art ideologies do those transfer to your food ide- you know ideologies too do you, do you cook in the same way that you produce your art with patience it it being temporal and timeless at the same time well, I don't, you know, I don't cook uh, professionally anymore. Uh, or, you know, sometimes we'll do uh, some events or parties or something like that. So I don't, I don't feel like I have to um, impress or, you know, rise to a certain occasion. But, and um, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm very free in, in, in the way I cook because. Uh, I don't have to worry about. It's like you once you know your techniques, you don't need recipes, and that's the greatest part about uh, n- knowing how to cook is you don't. You just have that in you, you know, in your body, and so then it's just all about the ingredients and whatever um, is available and seasonal and growing outside or you know just just present, and um, so I. I don't think of it in the same way. I don't. I don't have to. You know, the artwork has to be constructed. I mean, it has to be planned and thought out, and you know, elite, you know, c- certainly process oriented things like printing. Um, so, uh, f- cooking for me is just c- completely in, in intuitive and easy and simple. And um, I don't. I don't l- like. Uh, I don't like, you know, complex dishes. I like simple dishes. So it's completely a natural thing. So let's build those dishes. Um, 
of some of the elements that you have or, or, or subjects that you have for your printmaking, do you like cooking with those or do you separate those two things as well? Like the, this hardneck garlic is for print only and not for the pan. No, I don't separate <laughs> them. No. Um, you know, what's, what's, what's beautiful on the page is usually beautiful in the kitchen too and vice versa. So, um, it's, it's more about, um, just what is present at any given time, you know, like, uh, right now, uh, there's not a lot happening out in the garden. There's, we were just looking earlier at rocket flowers and, um, you know, young, young things coming up and I just planted some radishes and, um, the other day I had thinned the, the little rows of radishes and these tiny radish thinnings with just, you know, two leaves and a tiny little radish. It even has part of the root that's white and part of it's red. Well, you know, you don't throw those away. You just wash them off and they are like the most delicious little greens to eat. So that's something that just, there it is. It's right in the, it comes directly from the garden right into the kitchen and you, you know, add it to something and just make use of it. I'll see now I'm going to go out and take some radishes from you, but um, talk about deconstructing a radish too. A a lot of the images that I see of yours are they more, um, you know, whole image, whole object, or are they deconstructed like you just took that radish apart? Um, Both. It depends on the, on the context. Um, In, you know, I did a, a drawing of radish thinnings for this book that's in there to talk about just that, that, you know, you, you, the, the thinnings are delicious and they're beautiful. And part of the thing you can do, if you have a garden, you can make use of the, 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 the little thinnings as well as the mature plant. Um, so, you know, that's, things are at different stages all the time. Um, just depends on what, what, what you have the, have access to, what you have the privilege to have at any moment. So I picture you sitting there making a print or drawing a radish and the whole family saying, hurry up, we're hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Do you uh, take those things right into the kitchen afterwards? Do you intentionally, well, I'm assuming it's all together because you're a seasonal cook and artist, that it all just kind of happens at the same time. Um, Or do you use your art to construct feasts, food, meals? No, I wouldn't say I do. Um, it's it's the other way around. I mean, I the the um, it's more that the ingredients inform the art than the art informs the ingredients. Uh, but uh, what I'll often do is um, as they're they're not happening at the same time. So I'll I'll make a drawing if I'll bring it into you know my studio and and um, sometimes I'll make a photographic record of it. You know I'll photograph it in a couple of different ways um and and sometimes that's the best way to get it because um you know i it it takes time to draw and i draw very slowly some people draw more quickly and things start to wilt or you know they 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 lose that real vigor uh or some aspect that you want to keep and so sometimes i'll um i'll try and get that by photographing it and then i can work from the photograph or some combination of the two. And then, um, you know, and then after I've either made the drawing or photographed it or made the sketch or something, then I'll cook and eat it. (laughs) So let's talk about cooking and your favorite recipes. I know you tell me you're an intuitive person and it's probably easier for me to put a market basket in front of you and then you tell me what you might make out of it. But what are some of your go-tos, your favorites? Yeah, it is. It is easier to do the latter, but um, you know, uh, like I, I'll just go to the market. So you know, I'll just go to the fish market and see what's there, and you know, maybe I'll come home with um, halibut or squid or a crab or something, and then and then it's. But I'll be thinking about it in the in the market, and um, so recently I've been enjoying simple. Um, simply cooked like halibut uh, with a little preserved lemon and shallots and just in a little butter and water gently cooked and um, right now now we're in California you you understand and we don't (laughs) we don't want to make you feel too bad but um, 
fresh peas and some asparagus and um, like I had salmon the other night with I love with um, an anchovy and Meyer lemon peel butter and fresh vegetables but that that's that's what I is like a piece of fish you know a, a maybe a piece of meat um, and a combination of vegetables or salad or and that's that's changing all the time just by what you know seasonally and and flavoring those things in different um, ways just seasonally or you know we have like we have all these rocket flowers out there so just a handful of that in a salad changes the whole salad it's you know so I I, I always I, I love salads I love fresh vegetables um, pasta is always you know certain things are in the in the pantry so you know it's always possible to make a risotto or a pasta I always have chicken stock in the freezer I um, some some one thing from the garden you can build a whole idea around like right now out there there are um, fava beans and they're flowering and they'll eventually be turned under to be um, you know green manure for the soil that's a little cover crop I'm not going to grow them to maturity for the beans but the flowers are delicious and the the, the top little group of greens um, at the top of the stalk of the plant are tender and delicious so you you know that makes you make a whole dish right there based on those greens and so that's what I mean simple I'm not constructing a lot of complicated things together I'll just take you know some great ingredients and um, I just like um, tasting that pure thing Um, I don't need to make you know a huckleberry sauce to go with it or something you know (laughs) Um, those recipes and air quoting a little bit those recipes those flavors those tastes i know you said your ingredients inform your art but do those things ever inform your art do you ever work backwards do you ever make something so spectacular and say i have to reverse it and figure out what these elements are because i need to capture these yeah sometimes like um you know i just remembering a couple of months ago making a um I, i wanted to make a turnip gratin and and there were scarlet turnips over in the market, and it made the most gorgeous gratin because, you know, when you just barely peel them and it's got this pink ring around the turnips and you layer it in the pan. And um, So then I decided I, I have to draw these. these. <clears throat> I have to make a drawing of these scarlet turnips. They're, they're too amazing. So, yes, it does, it does go both ways. And why not a picture? Why not a, why not a print of the gratin? Um, I, I think it rarely works. Um, I think for cooked food and, and um, cooked dishes, something like that, photography is the best. It, you can really see everything in it, and, and it really shows it. It just always comes out as, you know, trying to do that, uh, at least to, to, to my eye, to my way of thinking, um, trying to do that in a drawing or um, a print, it just... It, it, it just dies uh you you can't even sometimes you can't even really tell what that is it's just you know something in a bowl you know or in a gratin dish it just it's it's i find it very very difficult to represent in a in a pleasing way so at the beginning of our conversation i want to go back to like yukio printing japanese um there are a lot of japanese growers and products out here do you ever want to travel to Japan or other places to see these things and see these influences and find new Florida make prints of, make art of? Oh, yeah, that, that, that's a little dream. Um, never been to Japan. I've lo- I would love to go to Japan. Um, I, I think it would be inspiring in all kinds of ways, you know, there's so, so many aesthetic directions. But um, it just hasn't happened you know, I've, I've, I've been to Europe, um, and, you know, had that experience, but it's, um, the way to do it would be to, to be there long enough to actually have some kind of space to work in, um, because these things don't travel very well. I mean, you kind of have to be, um, present, um, to do the work there, I think, to, at least to, to work the way that I do. I mean, aside from just physically doing the work, how important is an attachment to a place for you to produce? Well, um, I, I th- I'd say my, my attachment is to 
nature itself, um, wherever I encounter that, um, I, I get, in, in, in terms of the actual um, inspiration and, and um, materials to, to, to draw, uh, I, the place I really get attached to is, you know, my kitchen and my studio um, more than geography, I'd say. And you can bring the world to you in many different ways. Yeah, it kind of everything is, seems to get filtered through those two places. I'd say. What are these drawings of? Well, they're um, in 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 the artist Simple Food Two. It's um, it's really about the the sort of theme of the book is about having um, not only cooking but having a kitchen garden, and in some form or another, whether that's you know, a few pots on your windowsill or um, fire escape or deck or something, or whether you've got a little, a bigger plot or, or what, but it's um, about try, really trying to inspire people to plant. Just get that, make that direct connection, however small, because it really will change how you feel about cooking. And we're, you know, I think um, in a larger sense, if you can do that, it um, it connects you in a way to your food source and nature and you know you start realizing you where you know farmers what they're doing and where food comes from and and it it's, it sounds kind of so ridiculous but it it really is profound i think and so um we've organized the book around families of plants and um so how they grow and what they need and what their requirements are and talking about very specific varieties of things so if you're going to grow something, don't grow just any bean. Grow these beans because these beans are delicious. You what, know what are these beans? So, like uh, in shell beans, uh, you know, borlotti beans, cannellini beans, um, flageolet beans, uh, the the kind of you know ones that are not just like I don't know. Uh, Great Northern or something, but some th- these really delicious varieties. And um, many of them are heirloom varieties, and it's because people have wanted to keep growing them for years and years. Well, it's like going back to what you were saying of these very scientific drawings of the 16th century, that they they were very specific. For a long time, do you feel like uh, this kind of work got away from the specifics and people saw a tomato as a tomato, but not as a brandy wine and not as, you know, all the varietals it can be? Oh, oh definitely, and I, and I think that's the... Um, the fault of agribusiness that stopped growing food for flavor and grew it for the convenience of um, monoculture farming and shipping and um, shelf life and all of that, you know. So it, it and, and for um, year round availability. So, you know, there's most supermarkets you can go into at any time of year and there will be a tomato in there. But it, whether or not you want to eat that tomato is another thing. And you don't know what kind it is. It's just a generic red tomato. Well, those aren't the ones that are delicious. And that that's kind of exactly what we're getting at is, um, uh, you know, I think that knowledge has been lost. And in those scientific books of herbals and plants, you know, in the 16th century, um, that knowledge was really important really important and I think people have lost that thread of um, this the specificity of these ingredients and this food and what why why would you want to eat one or well it's simple when people taste a really delicious tomato and then right next to one that has no flavor I mean the it's a moot point I, I think I figured out the best way to surround yourself by tomatoes all year round I'm sitting in your studio, and I'm seeing all these prints up here. I think, uh, uh, you know, going through seasons in New York, uh, you can have one of these on the wall and still have that taste memory, that 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 flavor in your mouth, and just have to, I guess, gain that patience you were talking about to wait for it. You do, and that it's like in the wintertime you eat you eat different vegetables than in, than you eat in the summer, and that's good. Why would you want to eat the same thing all year round? I mean, you, the, part of that is the pleasure is um, 
of the th- those those things returning in in their seasonal time, so that you can look forward to having um, corn and tomatoes when they really taste delicious, and not try and eat them in you know tasteless salads in the middle of December. Um, so, and I and I would hope that uh, you know some of, some of the images um, that I like to make. Um, would represent some of those flavors and colors and things, you know, in um, in somebody's kitchen or when when they're not available. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, not, I'm looking at all your prints on these tables right now, and okay. I'll ask you more technical uh, questions in a second. But one, how hard is it for you not to touch these things and smudge them? They're they're so tactile looking. Um, yeah, it, th- th- that is definitely an issue with these drawings because they're charcoal, and um, so. They require, you know, uh, real care when you make them. And I kind of make masks around the area where the drawing is not to kind of keep that clean. Um, but, yeah, it's an issue. And then I, after when I finish them, I, they're sprayed with a, a fixer. So it kind of puts a, a, a thin, transparent layer of lacquer on it that helps um, avoid smudges. But, no, they, they have to be handled very carefully. I have them interleaved here. You can see, you know. See here we were talking about those little thinnings. Here's some scallions. And when I pulled those out of the garden, I just loved the way they looked, so I thought, oh, no, I have to draw that now before I do anything else with it. So it, there is that transition of inspiration. You know, it was funny, you, you talking about things wilting. Sometimes do you pull things with the intention to cook with them and then go, oh, well, now I have to use this for my art, and it gets past the point of being able to cook with it? Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, but it, it, it doesn't happen too often. Like here's a, here's a drawing of um, a, a, a bean plant, and it's the whole plant, and it's um, flagellate, and uh, the the little plump pods are full of beans, and they're they're ready to shell and eat. Or, you know, this is this is about a day out of the ground, and so I hung it upside down, and the leaves are are wilting. Um, and if if uh, I could I could shell and eat them right away, and they're delicious like that. Um, or you can just hang this plant for a month and let the beans completely dry, and then they're they're cured, and you can store them for the winter time. So, you know, this this is kind of, this one's a little bit in between. Anyway, you get, you get the idea. These go on and on. There's a little bird, a little titmouse. Borage flowers. Another nice thing if you have um, if you have a garden, you can harvest flowers. They're so fragile, um, but you can harvest the plant in many different stages. So sometimes you you you're going to thin out the little thinnings and eat those, and then. The plants get a little bigger. Maybe there's rows still crowded, and you can pull some out, and then you eat their leaves, and then you get the mature turnip or radish, and, and then you can let them go to flower and harvest the flowers. So you get the whole range as possible. Here's a Russian kale, a little leaf of Russian kale. Spring onion, cut. That's a... Another one of those um, stop before we <laughs> stop before we cook this. We've got to capture it in this state, sort of thing. Yeah. So, when did you start capturing things in process rather than their natural state? Um, well, sometimes I just really like the look of it, but also um, for for the illustrations. You know, illustrations are. Um, Meant they're they're not just artwork, you know. They're they're you're you're conveying certain kind of information. So, um, I'm trying to convey certain information about this. Uh, this is what the onion looks like whole, and this is um, how you can cut it, um, and what it looks like cut. So then you can say, oh, that's what you mean when you you know do this in the in the text of the recipe. Um, I don't. Sometimes I do a literal 
literal illustration like chopping the cabbage or something. But mostly I'm just, you know, um, making a drawing of the whole plant or the whole vegetable or fruit, not necessarily the whole plant, but the, the, the thing in its entirety before it's in some stage of cooking. Um, but it's, it's with the intention of conveying certain information. This particular variety looks this way, so then you can recognize it when you go to the market or, or recognize that's a good, that's what it looks like when it's um, a good time to pick it and ready to use in the kitchen, you know, not, not too young, not overgrown, not, you know. So I, I, I feel like I have, you know, with illustration, it's, it's, a, it's a very particular assignment. It's not just, I like the way that looks, you know, so I think I'll make that. It's, it's, it's about something. I'm more than inspired by everything that you've seen and documented and put on paper and look forward to many, many more books and prints and appreciate all the time that you've taken with me today. Oh, well, thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.